Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I spoke with oil and gas executive Grant Fagerheim and with University of Calgary economist Dr. Jack Mintz about the fiscal update, about the oil and gas industry, and about Canadian competitiveness. Here's what they both had to say to me. Grant Fagerheim is the president and CEO of Whitecap Resources, Inc. in Calgary for over 30 years. He's uh, been involved with the oil industry in both the upstream and downstream areas of the oil and gas business. And prior to founding Whitecap Resources, Inc. in 2008, Mr. Fagerheim was president and chief executive officer and a director of Cadence Energy, Inc., a public oil and gas company. And in that same financial post peace, he's quoted as saying, if the people of Canada think for one moment that we can only have Canadian investors and hope to drive any type of business going forward, they are absolutely, massively mistaken. Grant Fagerheim joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Fagerheim, thank you very much for the time, and please put that that quote of yours into perspective. We, We cannot survive by just having Canadians invest in our energy sector. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Roy. And and uh, 100% uh, the the comment that I had made about um, we cannot have uh, any growth in the Canadian sector, whether it's energy or any other sectors in Canada. We cannot grow our business and create jobs um, without foreign investors, whether they're the United States, Asia, or Europe. And at this particular time, with the policies we have in the in Canada are not friendly to future investment. So these are one of some of the areas that we have to change and uh, uh, with our federal government policies. When we talk about the, the numbers, about the money that's involved, and I, I tweeted and I've been speaking about that I find it absolutely unacceptable that we have a, a government that, that raises the deficit, borrows more money, and the multiples of billions of dollars, our national debt is 690 billion, I believe, our deficit probably in the 18, maybe more, billion-dollar range. Meanwhile, money, energy, jobs, um, prosperity, economic prosperity, is sitting on the ground. Correct. It's sitting on the ground. We're, we're, we're not moving. We have, we have rail cars, and I've been to Lac Megantic, so I know what, what can happen. Um, we, we, we're, we are not taking advantage of what is available to us, what is ours, what it would be logically expected to be taken advantage of by not only the federal government, but all governments in this country, I would expect, should, should be enthusiastically supporting what's going on. What do you see? How do you interpret this, uh, this Mr. Figurheim? From my perspective, Canada, um, as everyone has heard, is suffering from lack of confidence in the Canadian economic policy, making it our country difficult to invest uh, for not only foreign but in the country investors as well. This is not just in energy, um, it's also technology, manufacturing, and other sectors. 
And there's a need for consistent, honest, and transparent policies that Canada is known uh, for, uh, is not known for at this time, I should say. Canada has focused its efforts on social policy that is commendable. However, it has been at the expense of the economic and financial policy, therefore putting Canadians' financial position for our aging population as well as our kids and grandkids at risk. And to me, that just isn't acceptable. I think we have to challenge, we have to stand up and push back to the policies that are being developed and put forced upon Canadians at this particular time. What other country would absolutely, I shouldn't say ignore, but whatever, what other country would put its uh, put a, a massive nation, national resource that would have such potential benefit to the nation uh, on the back burner or just or just negated to the point where it's not even mentioned in a, in a, in a fiscal, uh, fiscal update. Let me ask you this. I, I mentioned a, a minute ago the 800,000 barrels a day that are being imported into Canada in order to give the eastern Canadian refineries something to do. What do what's your thinking on that? Well, this is challenging. This is uh, where it becomes very, very difficult for us to understand and comprehend, and I think it should be for all Canadians to comprehend. So when we're selling our products at in excess, losing over $100 billion per year in revenue, which equates to, by the way, paying off the debt of 10 provinces within uh, one year, um, yet we're importing through Saudi Arabia, uh, we're buying $300 million dollars a month of Saudi oil into, uh, whether it's into eastern Canada, uh, and we're also buying 270,000 barrels a day of importing U.S. oil into Newfoundland. These are into Newfoundland, Quebec, and Ontario. Yet we're struggling to get our products to market. And that's why when you have one customer in the world, that's which is the United States of America, it is critically important to get our product to foreign waters, to foreign markets, uh, whether it's on the east or west coast of Canada. I think um, the, the massive amounts of money that's being left for our resources, these are ours. And when, when we talk about this, when we think about it this way, that when we work in the energy sector, on behalf of all Canadians, we work to harvest these resources at the lowest cost possible and sell the production at the highest price possible while doing so in the most respected environmentally and advanced processes available on the planet. Today, all the Canadians are being penalized financially for not being able to sell our assets anywhere close to world prices. This is a travesty. And it has to be something that has to be addressed. We have a Prime Minister who said this. Listen again, please. Oh, there is no question that uh, folks in Alberta, folks here in Calgary are, uh, are living through extremely difficult times. Yes, this is, a, this is a very much a crisis. When you have a price differential that's up around $42, $50 even, uh, that's a, a massive challenge to, uh, to local industry, to uh, the livelihood of a lot of Albertans. He doesn't seem to understand that it's not just local industry, that it's not just Albertans. Albertans are taking the bear and the brunt of it, but it's all Canadians are suffering because of this. He doesn't quite seem to understand that it's a national issue. And, and I must ask you this, has, has there been anything as far as you're concerned, even a hint, that the federal government is going to provide necessary assistance to the Canadian energy sector? He didn't bother mentioning it during the fiscal update, or Mr. Morneau didn't. Are you seeing, hearing anything that encourages you? Well, Roy, it's interesting. That one's an interesting one, because there has not been any attempts by the federal government to provide assistance other than to comment 
that they have bought the pipeline. I think the patronizing comments that we did hear uh, uh, by uh, Prime Minister Trudeau uh, two days ago in, in Calgary, um, saying that we feel your pain. I don't believe they know the pain that is happening in our municipalities in Canada, um, not just in Alberta. This is going to be felt right across Canada for, for much time to come. So when we, we're hopeful um, that they will soon acknowledge that Canada is becoming more and more divided as a result of their inability to get things done in this country. A true test for all of us uh, to pay close attention to for certain. Um, when we look at this Bill C-69, um, uh, we would expect that at, at a minimum the government would have come out and said that we're going to defer any decision through the Senate on Bill C-69, and we can explain that after, but defer it through to um, an election vote um, because it will stymie any pipeline activity in this country for many, many years to come, which again will be harmful to the financial benefit of all Canadians. That has to be understood. It's all of us. Hospitals, uh, our healthcare is extremely expensive, becoming more so. We hear constantly that is the, you know, it's an aging population. Uh, and, and, and people are paying for medical services they never thought they'd have to pay for because the money's not there. The money's in the ground in Alberta. So the Prime Minister wants some advice, Mr. Fagerheim. He's anxious for advice. So I'll ask you this. Do you have a sense that uh, this government, he talked about how hard they've been working and how committed they are and, and brought up Trans Mountain. Do you have a sense that they're going to actually follow through on the commitment to Canadians, uh, you know, actually do something with the $4.7 billion they spent to purchase TMX? Do you see it being built? What are your thoughts? So I must admit, Roy, at this time, that I am not confident that the federal government has uh, can demonstrate the leadership required to build this pipeline. Um, when we hear uh, Prime Minister Trudeau talk about the right way, uh, as you had mentioned earlier, I don't know what they're referencing by the right way. There's no specific outline of what this right way is, and does that mean Canadians have not done it the right way previously? Um, I struggle with that. I sure hope that this government, along with all Canadians, understands what we are getting this pipeline built means to all of us, not just the energy sector, but all Canadians. Perhaps being bringing back a little confidence from investors that these projects can get completed in Canada and Canadians can get the benefit for their resources. I hesitate and I, it bothers me to say that I don't think it's their clear intention to drive this pipeline or any pipeline, as a matter of fact, through to, uh, to completion. No, he says the right way. Frankly, the Prime Minister says the right way because somebody told him to say that and it means nothing. It really means nothing. Um, when, when you hear the suggestion, and it's made by, made by industry leaders in the oil business, that Alberta should maybe slow down the flow of oil, arbitrarily say, okay, this is all we're going to produce now. You're going to have to live with that. Is that a smart move? That's a disastrous move. And you think about the financial... Oh, when we're talking about these near-term curtailments, I mean, I think that um, one of the premises that we have to live within... Roy, is I think um, that we should be, as Canadians, accelerating our products to market, getting to foreign pricing, 
so that we can, as you had mentioned earlier, we can build, have the best healthcare systems, build better schools, advance technologies, um, have a better social network from our underprivileged people of our country. Um, when, when we talk about the near term, you know, uh, we while I normally don't support uh, government intervention, we're at a crisis point in the market. The market has become distorted, and the only way to rebalance and de- the, the demand and impact of the oil uh, price for Alberta producers is to cut back production. production. Um, regrettably, we started to do it voluntarily, but it needs to be an industry-wide uh, uh, to have any impact. So, therefore, Whitecap Resources, we support the option, if it is time-limited, targeted until pipeline capacity issues are resolved. I'm going to be speaking with the former Premier of Newfoundland tomorrow, Brian Peckford, and he wrote... I'm going to read this tomorrow, but I'll I'll read this part now. The federal government can't just look south. They've made things almost impossible for the Alberta oil and gas industry, which is in large part the country's oil and gas industry, the country's oil and gas industry. The Gateway Pipeline stopped because of the federal pipeline halt on pipelines in the Great Bear Forest. Energy East Pipeline stopped because of new federal policy on including downstream issues in pipeline construction, delaying Trans Mountain until taxpayers have to pony up if it really ever does go ahead, making more regulation in the revised environmental legislation presently before Parliament, and on top of that, a carbon tax. So a double whammy, one we inflicted on ourselves, one by the Americans. Are we... If, if, if things don't improve, where will we be in a year? So this is, that one's a a very difficult, uh, we are dealing with a massive amount, we will be dealing with and are a massive amount of capital cutbacks at this particular time, which is jobs. And if we're into relative to energy, um, but that, the spinoff effects, we can't give the financial magnitude of that today, but that should be the responsibility of our federal leadership. They were elected to do a job to look forward, not look back see the challenges that we have, understand and be proud of the fact that we are the, have the highest... And I, I wish I didn't have to do this. We have 10 seconds. And highest standard um, of uh, uh, environmental responsibility. But I have to tell you, um, I'm concerned over the next, what I would consider to be next year, yep. I'm very concerned for, for where we go financially from this point forward. Mr. Fagerheim, thank you very much for joining us. I hope you'll come back. Okay, thanks very much, Roy. Thanks, Grant Fagerheim. He's the president and CEO of Whitecap Resources, Inc. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Professor Jack Mintz joins me on the Roy Green Show, President's Fellow at the School of Public Policy, one of Canada's most respected economists. Professor Mintz, thank you very much for the time. Uh, You had a forum, you participated in a forum at the University of Calgary uh, School of Public Policy the day after the fiscal update. Um, what came out of that? Is our competitiveness improved at all? And did I did I just blow it? And what I said earlier, just before we signed on. <laughs> uh, 
well, I think there's been, uh, let's say, some movement by the federal government to at least recognize that there's a competitiveness problem of some extent, but I don't think they really uh, are willing to uh, really fully recognize it because if they, um, let me put it this way, you know, they, they made some changes tinkering to, with uh, depreciation schedules with accelerated depreciation. They'll help a little bit. It's all going to phase out in five years' uh, time, like uh, the U.S. Uh, expensing formula. Uh, but it just still is a huge amount still uh, st- still on the table. Uh, you know, Canada has higher energy taxes, including carbon taxes, in the United States. Uh, we have um, higher personal taxes, uh, which tax on our ability to attract skilled labor. It make, also encourages our entrepreneurs to go south rather than stay here. Uh, we have uh, natural disadvantages of being a small market and and uh, and, uh, and you know in, in a cold climate. Uh, and the w- one thing that we did have was a very significant uh, business tax advantage in terms of the corporate tax, uh, but that's now gone. And even with the moves in the budget, it really puts us maybe uh, just slightly better off in the U.S., but not. Uh, but we still have a corporate income tax rate that's still slightly higher than the Americans on average, uh, but much higher than some states. Like if you're living in Alberta, you're looking at Texas. Texas is at 21, Alberta is at 27%. So that's a six-point difference in corporate income tax rates. So uh, we haven't really addressed it. And then we have all those regulatory issues that you mentioned. So uh, we have a much bigger agenda uh, than just tinkering around the depreciation rates. Yeah, well, the Prime Minister did say, did he not, that the regulatory issues were not the reason, and they, they aren't the sole reason, but you seem to really downplay the issue of regulatory reasons being a factor in the price of, of oil or the, the competitive nature of, of getting our oil to market. Well, I, I would have thought, <laughs> I would have thought that a, um, you know, that the uh, regulate, you know, the regulations, uh, including building pipelines is, uh, is, is certainly hampering us. And uh, and it's really hurting Alberta big time. But as you pointed out in your original comments, it, it, this is not just an Alberta problem. This is for the whole country as a whole. And just to kind of go back on some statistics, the Moet Center at, at the University of Toronto put out a, a pretty good report kind of outlining the various provinces that contribute, contributed to federation, where there are people paying more taxes relative to the expenditures made by the federal government in the province. And Alberta, you know, over 10 years' time from uh, 19, uh, sorry, from 2000, and, you know, roughly 2007 to tw- uh, 2017, has contributed $220 billion to the rest of the country. That's a huge amount of money. In fact, it is um, uh, almost three times more than Ontario. And Ontario, of course, has three and a half times the population of Alberta. And so Alberta is the biggest net contributor to the rest of the country. And so it really is the golden goose that lays the egg. And if, uh, if Albertans pay less tax and a lot less tax in the future, uh, then all of a sudden the rest of the country is going to be finding that they're not going to benefit from this transfer anymore. No, they have to understand and, that. And yeah, that's sorry. roughly, let's say, $20 billion a year. So that's a lot of money. That's uh, a lot of money. So the country is benefiting from you know, I keep saying this. We spoke with uh, Frank McKenna, the deputy chair of TD Bank, about the seven-year, or the study of the seven-year pain, the pain that we uh, 
that we live with in this country, costs us $117 billion, $117 billion over seven years. That's just the price differential um, at, at which we sell our oil to the United States, the, uh, the deficit that they get or the, you know, the, the advantage they have of being our only customer. That cost us $117 billion. Uh, when I hear Mr. Trudeau say regulatory realities aren't the major hurdle for the energy industry, I, I think about what he's done. He stopped oil tanker traffic in northern British Columbia. He'll, he killed the Northern Gateway Pipeline. His upstream emissions requirements ground energy east to a halt, which would have stopped foreign oil from being transported by tanker on the St. Lawrence River, which doesn't seem to bother him that much, 800,000 barrels a day, but there's no emission studies there. It just seems to me, uh, Professor Mintz, there is an agenda at play here. It's not about, uh, it's not about, it's not about what's doing right for, for Canadians and particularly Western Canadians in this uh, equation, yeah, there's an agenda that, they, that they're living up to or, or trying to live up to. Well, I mean, many Albertans are starting to feel that. And in fact... Uh, well, how could you not? Regulatory, another regulatory regime uh, that is, uh, is hitting uh, the industry and they're greatly concerned about it is Bill C-69, which is now sitting at the Senate. This is a whole new regulatory approach. The government is trying to cut back the timelines involved but anyone who is knowledgeable about regulation, where they're now throwing in all sorts of, um, you know, all the political issues into, you know, what the National Energy Board gets to do in part of the regulator, regulator system, which includes things like, uh, you know, uh, carbon policy and, you know, First Nation issues and things like that. Uh, you know, it is, it is uh, the view of the industry is that this is going to take much longer now. We were already at a very long time just to try to get anything done. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, most of the you know the pipeline industry has already made clear that they don't think any pipeline uh, across this country will be able to get built under this new regulatory regime. So I think if the prime minister came to Calgary, you would think he would have had something this week to address, which is a huge problem. And, and I think one of the best things he could have done was say he was going to pull Bill C-69 off the table and, uh, and rework it. Uh, and try to see if there's a better approach. And there is. I mean, Australia does a far better job than we do as a country in getting reg- regulatory approval for any project, whether it's electrical transmission lines or pipelines or trains, uh, highways or whatever. And it's because they set up corridors in advance. Uh, they deal with all the kind of big, hot political issues right away. Once the corridor is approved, then, uh, and then uh, anything can go into that corridor uh, subject to you know, review a technical review of the specific environmental and uh, and economic issues associated with it. So, so uh, you know, you could talk to like Atco and some of the other companies that do investments in Australia versus Canada. And they'll tell you in Australia it just takes less than a year to get approval, uh, while in uh, in Canada it will take years to get approval. And in fact, that's what the World Bank study has shown, just for approval of a commercial warehouse that we take a very long time to get permitting done. And we also take a very long time to get goods to Tidewater in this country. And so we do have a serious regulatory issue, and it does need to be dealt with. Yeah, and when you look at the World Bank study, not only are we 22nd internationally, Canada, as far as doing uh, the ease of doing business in the country is concerned, we're also 121st in the world when it comes to providing electricity as needed for business. Let me go back to what I should have started with, and I apologize for kind of coming at this whole thing through the side door, but there's so many issues at play 
when it comes to this government and when it comes to the energy sector and Canada being competitive and Canadians being as prosperous as we should be, that is overwhelming at times. But the, 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 the issue that you were exploring was U.S. tax reform is leaving Canadian competitiveness in the dust. Could you just talk to that issue, please? Okay. Um, so the U.S. tax reform, uh, it, it was a pretty significant change to the U.S. system, and it now uh, applies as of January 1st, 2018. So it's reality. It's not something that people are, are speculating about. Um, and uh, there are really, I would say, kind of like three or four important elements to that. Um, one is that uh, the reform uh, really did uh, create a much more competitive environment, tax competitive environment for investment in the United States, um, lowering the U.S. corporate rate uh, at the federal level uh, from 35 to 21 percent, and uh, and also bringing in. Uh, uh, well, actually, what they did is they they didn't really change policy that much. In in they've always had what's called bonus depreciation for investments in machinery. And it was supposed to be 40% in 2018, and now it's going to be 100%. So uh, that number has been going up and down over the years. <laughs> uh, in 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 uh, in in the, in the U.S., as Congress keeps changing it, depending on what they want to do. So, for example, in 2010, it was 100%, and then they went back to 50%. There was even a period that was canceled, uh, and in fact, it was it was supposed to be phased out by 2020. Um, but the main point is that these changes do uh, attract more uh, capital investment by large corporations in, in the U.S. So, um, and they also mean uh, a major change to the taxation of uh, uh, smaller and medium-sized businesses, giving them a special deduction from the uh, tax rates. And that's because many of these uh, small businesses weren't really being corporations taxed at the corporate rate, but they were actually uh, what were called uh, S-corporations. Uh, these were companies, that, uh, smaller firms, that um, didn't pay corporate income tax at all, but all the income was attributed to the owner and, and subject to personal taxes. And the U.S., of course, lowered personal tax rates, uh, you know, but they also uh, provided a special uh, deduction for uh, profits earned by, by these corporations. And so uh, now the small business in, in, in the United States are taxed about uh, 10 points lower than in Canada when you take into account personal and corporate income tax. That's big. Pay. That is huge. It's a it's a huge difference. And and so that's another change that, that, that that's important in drawing more investment to the United States. And then a, a second uh, sort of change is where various um, uh, what I would call base broadening changes, limitations on interest deduction, loss deduction, uh, a new uh, base erosion anti-avoidance tax paid by foreign corporations in the United States. And uh, and then on top of it, uh, U.S. multinationals no longer would pay taxes on their dividends that they brought home. Uh, they'd be exempt from U.S. tax. It would just bear any foreign tax abroad. And what this has done is that it, it's, it's changed completely tax planning vis-a-vis the U.S. Mm-hmm. Prior to 2018, uh, a corporation, including the Kane Corporation, if they were operating in the United States, they, they want to invest there because it is 20% of the world market, uh, but uh, they would not want to leave their profits there because it was so highly taxed. And so they would load up interest expense and U.S. subsidiaries, and uh, et cetera. And uh, now, as of 2018, it's totally changed because of all these base protection-type uh, 
provisions the Americans brought in, uh, companies now in the U.S. are going to put profits in the United States, not take profits out of the United States. And that's going to have a base erosion effect on Canada because what will happen is that, for example, U.S. corporations, they'll, they could empty some of the profits out of their Canadian subsidiaries, pay out dividends to the American uh, company. The American company could then use that to reduce debt or, or, or whatever and put in more investment in the United States and you know, whatever they plan to do. Right. And then they would leverage up their Canadian subsidiaries with more debt and the Canadian government would all of a sudden be out of revenue. Uh, and so you're going to get this base erosion effect. Okay, so we have and that. We we have that, and then we add to that the problems that we create for ourselves. Um, exactly. Again, it takes us back. It takes this us back is, to leaving aside anything that Canada's done. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so now we're finding all of a sudden we have a higher corporate income tax rate than the United States. U.S. also has a special concessionary rate for, you know, in, income from intellectual property and sales force, right. like marketing and things like that. And so when you put it all together, all of a sudden the U.S. is much more competitive in another respect okay. compared to Canada, on just on the corporate tax side. All right. For- and so the remedy that we needed to do in Canada was not tinker around with depreciation rate rates. I mean, we could do it, I mean, it would have some impact. Mm-hmm. But the kind of changes that have now happened in the U.S., we need a, a much bigger reform. Now, I don't blame the federal government if they decided they didn't want to announce a whole tax reform just before an election. That's very... No, I, I understand that. We only have a few seconds, but, but you know, the, we, we have problems now. I understand there's an election on the 21st yeah. of October 2019, but we have a problem now, and it's the government's responsibility to address the problem when the problem exists, not address it when it's too, at, at an ad, advantageous time for them. I understand why they're doing it. It's just wrong, at least from my perspective. Professor Menz, I hope well, you'll come back. I'm, I'm sorry, we're just out of time, but I thank you so much for joining us today. Okay. Right, thank, thank you. you. Professor Jack Mintz from uh, the University of Calgary. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.